Hello and welcome to the Bremner Boulevard Sports Podcast. I am your host, Donald Higby, always here with my co-host, Trevor Popoff. Trevor, how are you doing today? I'm kind of deceased because I have my uh, I have my second shot the other day, so I'm uh, feeling the side effects today. But hey, I'm always I'm always showing up for the podcast. You know, I got you know I got my priorities straight. Of course, we're gonna get an MJ flu performance out of Trevor today. I can feel Thank it. You. The energy we got some we got some good energy cooking up in the studio today. But the Blue Jays don't right now. Let's do a quick temperature check: thirty three and thirty four. Fourth in the AL East, eight back, eight and a half back from first, two and a half back from the Yankees, so we're in third. Red Sox are gaining on the race right now, too. They're only a half game back, so that's interesting. Split the Red Sox series 2-2 and got swept by the Yankees. Trevor, how, how are you feeling right now with this team? It sucks. It sucks. The Red Sox series, I don't know what's more painful, honestly, because we could have swept the Red Sox series. We could have taken four games from them in Fenway, and then I think that – changes the entire vibe going going forward but that triple play last night that we hit into Mm -hmm. that 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 just like that's that's just everything I mean it's everything with this team right now Dolise going down again going back on the 10 day like it's just it's just not a good energy around the team right now and I think you know it, it has to stop here right because with our schedule coming up we got to start taking advantage of, of some of the some of the worst teams in the league, and and I, I think you know, as much as it sucks losing to the Red Sox and Yankees, it's gonna suck a lot more if we lose to the Orioles and Mariners and Marlins. Yeah, that's you can't like we've said before in the past. You got to beat up on the teams that you're better than, and you know, try your best to split the rest. Mm-hmm. And I, you're right. The Red Sox series does seem like a blown opportunity, especially after some of these quotes, especially after the last Red Sox game and the first Yankees game, where there's a little bit of a bullpen fun stuff going on. Uh, he had, uh, Charlie Montoya had a quote after Monday's game, after a lot of people were questioning why Jordan Romano didn't come in uh, instead of uh, Dulles. And he said um, he would only play him if they had the lead his definition of that's what a closer is. And then after that Yankees game, uh, that first loss against the Yankees on Tuesday, he kind of, he said like the first swear word ever, apparently that the Yankees beat reporters uh, um, noticed saying that like every question, every day he gets a question about what's wrong with Anthony Castro, what's wrong with Tyler Chatwood, what's wrong with Rafael Dulles. It's like you said, it's every bleeping month the whole month it's the same thing and i think that just speaks that this team needs a bullpen upgrade trevor i have a name for you that not a jays reporter brought out but someone from the athletic blake murphy threw out how do you feel about max scherzer and trying to get him that's interesting i don't i don't know i don't know how i feel about scherzer like obviously that'd be great but i i I mean what are you going to, you're going to have to give up a lot to get Max Scherzer. And I don't think that fixes what we need on this team. Like, of course, it'd be great to have another starter, but I think the solution can be a lot cheaper than that. And I think you can, I mean, we're not talking about a team. It's, it's funny when you bring up Scherzer in the nationals, right? The nationals historically had a terrible bullpen every single postseason. That's what kicked them out of the, kicked them out of the playoffs. They upgraded that actually by taking Daniel Hudson off the blue Jays and they won the world series that year. 
Like we're not talking about a team that has a historic historical trend of having bad bullpens. The Blue Jays have had really good bullpens and they've turned a lot of those pieces. Like, like look around the league and you can see former Blue Jay bullpen guys, Liam Hendricks with the White Sox is their closer. Uh, Ryan Tapera with the Cubs. There's like, like we've turned out good bullpen pieces. So this is, I think a new problem for this team. We haven't had a bullpen this bad in a long time. Injuries are a big part of it, but also just, I, I mean, the, the quote from Montoya, I wanted to hit on that too, because we're not good enough to have defined roles yet. We're not mm-hmm. good enough for it. You cannot have a defined role for a closer right now. No one is good enough to be the, the lock-in closer on this team. And, and given where they were in the game at that point, you got to bring Romano in. You just have to. So I don't know. I think it, it's, it's, it needs to be solved by the trade deadline, in my opinion. I don't think Scherzer is the answer. I think Nate Pearson is a big answer. And I think you throw him in the bullpen, which I said on the other podcast, and I've heard a few other people say now. I think you I think that's the I think that's a huge get. If you can throw Nate Pierce in the bullpen and he's effective, I think that's massive. I think uh, someone from TSN, I forget who off the top of my head, Scott Mitchell, had the nice little quote. The difference between a 60 game sprint last year versus a hundred and sixty-two game season this year is really starting to it's this interesting dichotomy to me about the Blue Jays kind of overperformed or overachieved and showed some progress. And now that there's like literally a hundred games shown up this season compared to last season, you're dealing with interesting problems that you didn't have to deal with last season. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, you know, last season was just bizarre for baseball. I think it's kind of a write-off either way. Um, and a lot of people like, this is something that bothered me a little bit last year where everyone's like, and coming into this year when people were saying the Blue Jays were a playoff team last year, it's like in a normal season, you wouldn't even be sniffing the playoffs without, with the team from last year. So I think right now this is not a playoff caliber pitching staff. I think it's a playoff caliber batting order. Um, I, 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 but I don't think it's a playoff caliber pitching staff. Um, I think, you know, I don't think we need to go all out to get Scherzer, but I think if we get a nice starter and like two nice bullpen pieces – over the course of the um, the the trade deadline period coming up, I think that would go a long way to mm-hmm. uh, to fixing some of the problems on the team. Absolutely, you have to do right by the um, by the bats and how they're performing right now because they're mm-hmm. just the offensive numbers for the Blue Jays are just absolutely off the board. Two things I want to bring up really quickly. Uh, have a little stat since May twentieth, six saves have been blown and the bullpen is posting a minus 1.0 wins above replacement, which is the worst in the MLB. Not great. But I also feel like the bullpen woes are spilling into the outfield and the defense behind the pitcher with Stripling freaking out over Joe Panic's error, which was not good. And he apologized afterwards to Panic and the team, and they talked it out. But that wasn't a good look. And mm-hmm. it just feels like the vibes are off with this team right now. Yeah, that Stripling freak out, that, that can't happen. It can't happen in a little league. It can't happen. It can't happen at any level of baseball. Um, you can't do that to a fielder who was honestly just trying to make an effort play. Like he was just trying to make the play. Um, the only, yeah, I mean, like, like he could have chilled the throw down a little bit with Stanton running, but like, still, I, 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 he was just trying to make the play. It just seemed like such a weird thing to freak out about. But with that being said, Stripling was freaking out at him because Stripling was going off. I mean, he was pitching really well. And I'm I'm not would that I'm not sure if that would have gotten him out of the inning, but it would have been a big out because I'm, I believe that happened in the seventh inning, and he was that's the deepest he's gone into a game all year. So mm-hmm. I like to see the passion, but direct it towards a positive 
and not and not back on your teammates. Yeah, I think that was just the heat of a moment thing, and not how mm. he feels about Panic or anyone on the Blue Jays. Yeah, definitely. yeah. If we can't get Scherzer, if that's not the answer, is there some names that you see that the Blue Jays could kind of take away and bring onto the team? I, I brought up Daniel Hudson before. You can go back to Daniel Hudson. With with the, like the Nationals aren't doing anything this year. That's why Scherzer's on the market. I think I think Hudson would be a really good addition to this bullpen. Guy who's, who's done it on the biggest stage. A guy who's taken who 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 dragged the Nationals through that World Series. He was a massive part of that team. So I think that's a name I'd like to see. I think. There's this kind of thing about the trade deadline where you can only call bad teams for players. I don't think that's the case when you look at, like, look at the White Sox bullpen. It's low dead. Like, you have three guys in that bullpen who could be closers on, on with, with Hendricks, who is their closer, Aaron Bummer and, and Garrett Crochet. So I think a, a call to the White Sox might be good because you could possibly flip, like, an offensive prospect for a good bullpen piece right now. It, depending on if they want to deal with the Blue Jays or not, that's another question because they're obviously competing in the American League. But I, I'd say I'd say Daniel Hudson, if not, call the White Sox. Interesting, interesting. We have a little thing also here in the doc where just the facial expressions of Vladdy right now, just like watching this stuff, pain. hurts. It's pain. It, it's it's sad. And I was I was I was talking to a friend of ours like. It, it, I'm really glad we don't have to pay him for a long time because if this was a year where he was up for a contract, one, we'd have to like, like all, we're going to have to pay him a ton eventually anyways. But my point is he might want to leave if this, if this was a, if this was a walk year for him or something like that, like it's so frustrating to lose games like this over and over and over and over again. And he is such a talent that it's just like, it just hurts me to see him like this, man. It sucks. And even even with that, even with Springer, who's playing, what is he, Triple A? He's like one for eight or two for eight in his appearances right now. Just mm-hmm. overall, just not even the bullpen, just the vibes of this team don't really seem to be all the way going in a positive direction. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm not too too concerned about that. I don't know how much effort he's putting in in the batting bot. Like like he knows mm-hmm. why he's there and still playing center. Yeah, but like I'm I'm not like. We'll see with him. We'll see with him. I think it could take a little bit of time to readjust, but when he did play for the four games that we had him, he had two home runs. So I don't know. I, I think the bat will come around with him, but I'm just glad to see him healthy down there. Yeah. I forget what the quote is. I forget what the saying is, but if you're looking for the negatives, you're always going to find like another negative and another thing to like pile on. And that's what I feel like for mm-hmm. that George Springer sad is like, we know who George Springer is. We've seen him play. We know what he can do. Like this isn't, I don't think this is a cause for concern about like the money that you had paid him or like, how is he going to perform with the Blue Jays? I think it just kind of is what it is. Yeah, no, I agree. So we also had some CFL news this week. They have officially returned to play for August 5th. There's reports that fans will most likely be in stands, but that will be at the duress of local health officials where they play. So maybe Toronto doesn't get fans, but other places in Canada could get fans. I don't know. We'll see. But let's do a quick temperature check on the Argos because it's the last team on the bingo card that we haven't really talked about yet. How are we feeling about this team? I, I like the Argos this year, man. I like big changes, lots of changes, um, new quarterback, lots of big names coming in. I mean, I mean, the quarterback room alone with Nick Arbuckle and Kelly Bryant. I mean, like that's a that's a really interesting one too. Um, and I think McLeod Bethel Thompson's back too. So that's, that's an interesting yeah. one, two, three, I guess it's, it's just a good team. It's, it's a much better team than when we last saw them a couple years ago. 
it's almost a completely different team. And I'm, I'm just happy to have the CFL back, man. I think, I think it's an important league for our, the country. Um, I think it's a very underrated league, like in North America. I think, you know, people like meme on it for not having fans, but like three to 4 million people watch the great cup every year. It's, it's mm-hmm. a massive event still in this country. And it's, I mean, all this, all the stadiums with the exception of BC place, well, BC place is technically outside. It has a hole in the roof, but all the stadiums are outside with, with big ventilation. I, I, I hope, I hope this goes well and I hope it just stays on track because I'd love to see it back. Same here. Uh, don't know as much about CFL compared to the NFL, but I'm definitely excited to watch this team play. Two dudes that I'm really excited to watch. One, Ronald Ollie. Let's get Ollie going on this team. And second one, O'Shea Brissett, Sprether, Dijon Brissett at wide receiver. That is going to be interesting mix. Number two pick. Not this it wasn't last year. It's the year before draft. I'm pretty sure he was picked number two. But those two guys, I'm definitely interested with their connections to Toronto. I'm interested to see what they do with this team. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good connections for, to Toronto on the team. It's 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 going to be a completely different vibe from the last time we saw this team. I mean, it's it's going to be when you got Nick Arbuckle behind center, you got one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the league, and and I I think it's big for the CFL to return and fall kind of into this soft spot in the sports calendar. Cause they're going to have a long run here where they're going to be the only team playing in Toronto, presumably if the Jays stay in Buffalo for a little bit longer. So they're going to have the city themselves with the possibility of fans coming. So I think that's a pretty big get for this team in order to, to try and grow its market share in the city. Yeah, definitely. Throwing it back to the Blue Jays really quick before we move on to the Raptors. But they were testing out the retractable roof sometime this week. I forget when. So maybe that's a potential signal for the Blue Jays to come back. I doubt it. But it's something to look forward to in a positive direction. I wouldn't take too much from it. But, you know, you never know. Flex that roof. Flex that roof. Get it lubed up. I'm ready, man. Get that roof ready, man. I I miss sitting there under under the CN Tower, like nine or 10 at night, just watching baseball. It's, it's, it's a great vibe. And that, I wanted to say this too. The other thing is it sucks that Vlad and Bo and all these guys have not experienced Toronto with the team winning. I mean, they both played here, but it was in one of the worst seasons in, in Jay's history um, mm-hmm. where I think we won like 64 or 65 games or something like that. Like when this team is competing this is really like it turns into a baseball city. Like, like it baseball is big here. I yeah. think baseball is very underrated. And and like we all you think of the city as a Leafs and Raptors town, but I think the Jays, the Jays pull in this market. They have a they have a huge share. They get huge crowds when they're winning. It sucks that they're not getting that chance, but but hopefully over the next few years they can, you know, have that experience of playing in front of a, a packed house and an engaged house in Toronto. Absolutely. I remember that that playoff run, you know, where Jose Batista hits that with the bat flip and everything. And remember how nuts that crowd was? I can just picture mm-hmm. that with this team somewhere down the line in the playoffs. Like, it's going to be crazy. Best crowd outside of Jurassic Park that the city's ever seen. Yeah. No offense to Maple Leafs fans, but yeah. No offense, but honesty. No, yeah, no offense, but, you know, a li- li- little bit of truth. A little bit of truth. All right. Yeah. Let's hit on some Raptors news because we had a couple little things, little newsworthy things. Pascal Siakam had surgery on a torn labrum in his left shoulder. He is expected to miss at least the first couple weeks of the season because the NBA is going to return to regularly scheduled programming with a mid-October start. 
how do you think his absence is going to affect the Raptors at the start of the season, Trevor? Well, it's going to suck, but I think we are lining up for a pretty good year next year if we can play in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm down to chalk this year up as, as an apparition and, and say that we're going to turn it around and return to the playoffs next year. We return our core. I think, you know, there's holes on this team, obviously. we got to figure out the center position. Um, but I think if we, if we have that figured out, we can afford an absence with, without Pascal for a bit. And it's going to be interesting to see how this team plays without him, I think. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the matchups kind of like, you know, depending if Kyle is back and depending if Gary Trent Jr. is back, I think he's mm-hmm. probably a guarantee depending yeah. on what's offered. I probably feel like it's like the lineup will look like Lowry, Van Vliet, Gary Trent, OG, and then insert center here. Definitely not Aaron Baines anymore. But no. So that's going to be interesting about how this roster kind of changes from this season's team to next season's team. Because it's just very clear to me that we just don't really have a lot of NBA caliber talent. And this was definitely a developmental year to see, you know, mm. who can play in this roster on yeah. in the rotations. And I think we found out a few guys. Like Freddie Gillespie can play. We know that. Yeah, I think I think I think right now or when this is this team is actualized and back in Toronto, I feel like a lot of those guys like Freddie Gillespie, Yuta Watanabe, mm-hmm. even Stanley, if he's back, I doubt he's back. But those guys are like, they're going to be like the Matt Thomases and the Terrence Davises from two seasons ago, where like you're going to be the eighth guy and like it's going to rotate every night to see who, like depending on the matchups, who is going to be there. Because that's what this team still reminds me of. It's just, it's just missing NBA caliber talent. And that's why I think the draft and free agency is going to be really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The draft's huge this year um, to, to potentially find that solution at center, I think. Yeah, and that's something we'll definitely explore next episode with the yep. NBA draft lottery coming up. And we'll finally see, you know, the Raptors are slated at seven. Will they move up? Will they go down? We'll see. But we've also had a little bit of coaching news as well. Something that we didn't touch on, and it isn't here, but Nate Bjorkman, former Raptors assistant, was let go by the Pacers. That's someone that we, I feel personally could probably make a return to Toronto. He's currently one of the assistant coaches for the Canadian men's national team. So I feel like a return to Toronto is pretty much set in stone, I would say. Uh, lead assistant Sergio Scarolo is off to coach in Italy. Uh, little tidbit, former Raptor Marco Bellinelli plays for the team, uh, Virtuous Bologna or Bologna or however you spell that. I don't speak Italian. Um, so that is good for Sergio. Uh, good to see him getting a head coaching opportunity. He had a head coaching opportunity, I'm pretty sure, in the bubble because Nick Nurse got suspended for a game. So good to see him getting a head coaching opportunity because he's also the head coach for the Spanish national team, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, so that's good for him. Uh, another little tidbit is Adrian Griffin was mentioned in the True Hoops newsletter as a potential candidate for the Pelicans head coaching job. What it feels like to me is that there's kind of a brain drain going on with the Raptors where a lot of the high up assistants have been scouted for other jobs, whether it was Nate Bjorken, obviously that didn't work out, but Chris Finch of the Timberwolves and now Sergio gone to Italy and Adrian Griffin is probably going to get an interview or at least in consideration for that job. It just feels like there's a big brain drain going on with the Raptors right now. Yeah. Reminds me of like Alabama, right? Alabama and college football have their assistant coaches poached every single year and they basically have to restart um, all the time. But that's, that's what happens when you build a good program. And, and I think 
the critical guys to retain are Nurse and Ujiri, right? Mm-hmm. You retain those guys and, and the rest of the guys, you know, like, like yeah, you're going to miss them, but you have the guy who picked them. So he's just going to pick another guy who can fill that role. So I, I think the critical thing to, to retain, in the, in, and, and it's the same for Alabama to tie that all back, as long as you keep Nick Saban, you have a guy who can continue to find these guys, right? So if you, if you keep the top, the head of the snake on top of the uh, organization, then you can, you know, make it through this, right? But it's, it's, it's a testament to our organization, right? We've built something that other teams want to replicate, and they're going to try and take our guys, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a positive for our guys to see these guys, you know, bounce around the league and, and get these opportunities. Yeah. You can't keep them like in the shadows in Toronto forever. They need their opportunity to kind of like spread their wings and grow. I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of an Adrian Griffin as a head coach, but you know, other guys like absolutely. But that's enough about the Raptors. We'll see what they do with the draft lottery. It's yeah. going to be an interesting off season. That's coming up pretty soon because the NBA playoffs keep moving on ahead. Another transition right there. This has been a crazy week, so let's run through it. Let's take a deep breath, and let's go. Okay, June 11th, we already hit Pascal out until early November with a torn labrum. Serge Ibaka also had season-ending surgery on his back that day. The next day, Danny Green, another former Raptor, has been reported to be out for two to three weeks. The next day... Kyrie hurts his ankle during the Bucks uh, net series and has been out since. And because of that, or some would say not because of that, James Harden comes back for game five and six after hurting his hamstring. The next day, CP3 tests positive for COVID-19 despite being fully vaxxed. Let's make sure that we make this clear. Just because you have the vaccine in both doses doesn't mean you won't catch it. Also the same day, it is reported that Kawhi has an ACL injury is out indefinitely. And then the next day, aka yesterday, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are both game time decisions for tonight's pivotal game six. But that's not it. That the craziness doesn't stop there. Two days ago, the New Orleans Pelicans fire head coach Stan Van Gundy after one season going 31 and 41. The Washington Wizards and head coach Scott Brooks couldn't come to an agreement on a contract extension, so he is also gone. But the biggest news this week has been with the Dallas Mavericks. So Tim Cato and Sam Amick dropped this bombshell article detailing the dysfunction between the front office with longtime president of basketball operations, Donnie Nelson, and the new director of quantitative research and development, also a former professional sports gambler, Harala Bob Volgaris, owner Mark Cuban, head coach Rick Carlisle, and franchise star Luka Doncic, just talking about all these competing interests and all these competing stakeholders and how some of these groups just don't get along, whether it's Donnie or Harala Bob, or is it uh, Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic, that some of these guys just don't get along with this. And because of this article, Donnie Nelson and the Mavericks agreed to part ways. And the thing that was not expected, or at least I didn't expect, Rick Carlisle informs Mark Cuban that he is not returning as head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, ending one of the longest tenures of a head coach so far that we've seen in the NBA. And today, today, this happened today, Dirk is going to join the team as a special advisor to help assist in the head coach and front office search. But wait, we're not done because three hours ago, Kemba Walker got traded as well for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second round pick. Boston is also sending the 16th pick in the draft to OKC. That was a lot. Jeez. I feel like I just ran a marathon. Holy crap. 
what's going on in the NBA right now? Oh, it's chaos, man. I don't know. Um, the league is just off its rocker at the moment, right in the middle of the playoffs, too. I, I, I know, like, it's crazy. I think what you touched on with the, with the, the Mavs stuff, aside from the CP3 thing, which was obviously, you know, a complete shock. The Mavs thing is the biggest shock to me. From the outside, I had no, no inkling of there being any trouble there. Like, it just felt like a team that was missing a few pieces and they'd go into next year, grab a few guys and make another run, right? But like, I think Rick Carlisle doesn't leave Dallas if he doesn't have a plan, right? Like, he's got to have something lined up. And, and we were talking about this earlier that we think it's probably Boston, right? Mm-hmm. But there was reporting like literally like 10 minutes before we started that he is not considered one of the candidates for the Boston job, which Mm -hmm. in my opinion, it makes sense and it doesn't make sense because Boston needs a win. They need a PR win. So I think they're going to hire a former player, either Chauncey Billups or Sam Cassell. That would make a lot of sense for that role because, yeah, Boston, not to say that those guys are not deserving because they absolutely are. They've been grinding the assistant coach ranks for a long time, especially Chauncey Billups. But Boston needs a PR win as bad as Dallas needs a PR win right now. And I also think that this trade doesn't really help mm. this Kemba I, I agree. I, I, I saw the trade pop up today. I was like, what? I don't really understand that trade. Like, I don't think they – Kemba could have easily returned to that team and I would not have batted an eye. I think – they need a guard and he's been a pretty good guard despite the injuries. I mean, that's the big question with Kemba all the time, right? Like oh. what do you gain with Al Horford, Moses Brown and a 2023 second round pick? I don't know. So what this trade screams to me is a return to like normalcy about like what made the Boston teams like really good. It's like, it's like when Tibbs became head coach and general manager and he brought back Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler to Minnesota. It's when Doc Rivers was head coach and general manager and he brought back Paul Pierce. Like, it's bringing the familiar name that you know has worked to bring some sense of like, okay, like, this is my guy. Like, this is who I want. Which is also really funny because Boston had a price that they weren't willing to pay Al Horford and they let him walk away. And now they're going to have to pay him the price that he actually wanted. But but whose guy is it? They don't have a coach. Like, like with those other examples, it's like that coach was tied to that player. I mean, Who it's like, it's, Bra- it's Brad Stevens guy. It's Brad yeah. Stevens guy. He's been pretty clear about like his love for Al Horford and how important he was to those Boston runs, even though they like, I mean, they went to three conference finals in like five years or four years. So, and most of those times had Al Horford at the helm. I don't know how good Al Horford is, but I guess they like the familiarity that he brings. I don't know. Maybe they envision like Peyton Pritchard being like the new Terry Rozier or something like that. Like, I, I don't know. It's actually really confusing that they gave up the 16th pick because this team still needs talent. And the 16th mm-hmm. pick is probably an avenue where you can get good talent. But to me, Boston screams like they have like a collection of young guys that they have got that they weren't able to trade the picks away to me, like next year for the Boston Celtics, it's like, you actually have to play the young guys. Like you're actually forced to, even though they did this season and actually figure out like, who's good. Cause like, obviously you got Jason Tatum, you got Jalen Brown and they're good. Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard kind of show some things, but you probably want to have guys for their, for like backups in case, like, you know, they fall off a cliff. I don't, I don't know. I don't know because it's confusing because I don't think OKC is going to keep Kemba. I think they're going to try to trade him for another first round pick or something yeah. in the future because Kemba doesn't make sense on this team at all. Yeah, that's, that's the other part of that that I wanted to touch on. It makes no sense for that team. 
But yeah, I, I, I guess they'll try and flip him again. But yeah, Boston's interesting. I don't know where they kind of land. I mean, obviously this year was a huge disappointment for them, but they this can't be the end of their offseason. I think they need to go further than this and they need to do something else to compete with the Milwaukee's and Brooklyn's and, and Philadelphia's of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I just don't know if Al Horford is the answer and I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up. This move just screams to me as like a familiarity or a comfort move instead of yeah. dealing with... You don't just play. Just get him to be an extension of the coach exactly yeah i mean i'm not 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 to say that al horford could is not going to bring value because he probably is like that's still a vet that Jalen and jason and those guys that have been on the team trust but Mm. it's interesting also from okc's perspective they have picks for 16 18 35 36 and 55 and potentially pick number five if houston's pick falls out the top four you know what it feels to me like? I feel like this is like the football play where you just try to get as much guys as you can, no matter if there isn't like a solidified starter or a solidified role on that team. Mm-hmm. It's like multiple bites at the apple. It's like we could have, we have five, we have six picks so far. We could have seven if OKC, if the Houston pick falls out the top four. Like let's try to get as much talent on this team as possible. Yeah, that, that's a really good analogy. I, I feel like, They've, they've recognized, they've taken a look in the mirror, right? They've looked at their city of Oklahoma City, take a step out the front door, take a look around. It's not a great place to live, right? No offense to Oklahoma City, but in terms of NBA markets, there's a, there's a lot more better places where you can grow your personal brand. And that's, that's, what it's, that's what it's about for a lot of people at this point. So I think they've understood that they're not going to attract a winner to that city via free agency. They need to win via the draft. And that's exactly what they're doing. And I think it's a great idea. I think they're realizing it before a lot of other markets do, that this is the way to go if you're not in LA, New York, or Chicago, or Florida. Like, this is the way to go if, if, if you're a mid-market team and you, you, you grab your picks, you lock them up, you have them for a few years at really cheap contracts, and then you kind of, I don't know, maybe maybe you trade them for more picks and just restart the cycle. Like, I think, I think it's a really good organizational move from an ownership group that knows how to win and knows how to bring talent in. I think what that team has done in their short time of existence is pretty remarkable. I mean, they've had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Chris Paul all walk through their door in a short amount of time. They drafted three of those guys, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a smart move for them, I think grab Kevin Walker, flip him for more picks, keep the cycle going. Don't forget about Paul George too and Serge Ibaka yeah, Paul George, yeah. and Reggie yeah. Jackson. Like this is a this is a team that can draft pretty well. I was checking the Oklahoma City roster while you were going on. There's a lot of dudes on this roster who are just not NBA players and they yeah. played on purposely to get to this pick. It's going to be interesting to see what OKC does because uh, this team definitely screams like vet presence like let's sign some vets to make sure that like it isn't just a bunch of like 23 year olds just riding the ship running the ship it's gonna be interesting i because for sure they'll have first three first round picks so that's four years guaranteed or at least two years guaranteed and picks 35 and 36 you can get good players in Mm -hmm. the early second round so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because it, it only really feels like they have one solidified or two solidified players on that team. SGA yeah. and Dort. Don't forget Dort. Dort. Daddy Dort. Can't forget Dort. Love but I, 
But this team, if you could just get past about like how bad they played, did have some like interesting stuff with like Alexei Pokachevsky, uh, Theo Maladon, Ty Jerome. Like there's interesting players on this team. They're still going to suck for a very long time, but there's something interesting. There's something, there's something brewing there. Also, I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up the OKC, like from a like town perspective, because there's a really interesting book. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard really good reviews about it. It's called Boomtown. And basically they talk about how like Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, those guys on the OKC Thunder were like really booming, really built up the city. Yeah, I believe that for sure. I mean, it's, it's the only game in town in that city. They don't have another – in that state, they don't have another pro sports team. So, I mean, you got, you got a state behind you similarly to how, can, how the Raptors have a country behind them. You have an entire state behind, behind the Thunder. So, I think it's a place that you can obviously win, but my point is you're not attracting a free agent unless you have a team full of guys who, who it's going to be a chip with. Like, you're not going to get – a big free agent to come there by himself is what I'm saying. The only guy that I could see them potentially, potentially trying to get is Trey Young because he's from Oklahoma. Yeah. Which which leads us to the big thing is that just, even though all this drama and all this stuff is happening in the NBA, we have three series that are at either at three, two or three, three that are going to end this weekend, which could shake up the league in its own way. The Hawks and Clippers are both up three, two, with both series ending potentially tonight. And we have a game seven between the Nets and the Bucks. Trevor, do you think any of the series are ending tonight? Okay, where's the Hawks game being played? Hawks is in Atlanta. The Hawks are winning. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't I think the I think the Sixers are done. That that blown lead just screams to me like mentally defeated. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's just tough. I think I'm either going to be really wrong or right. Like, like either the Sixers are going to win by 30 or the Hawks are going to win. In my, I don't think there's a real middle ground in this game. Mm. Um, I think, I think the Jazz will get one tonight. I think the Jazz will get one tonight. I think they kind of have to. Like, if you if you lose this one, like now you've lost two games to the Clippers without Kawhi, and you were at home for one of them. Like, I think they kind of have to win tonight. There's a lot of lot of expectations on the Jazz, and I think they'll get it done. But I think the Hawks end the series tonight. What about you? I was the Jazz Clippers game last night or two nights ago and when i woke up the morning i I saw my bleacher report notification and i saw paul george's stat line it was like 37 points and like a bunch of rebounds and it's just like holy crap did paul george finally have a good game and i was listening to uh ryan russell and his podcast it's like oh that's a little bit misleading because he had like 30 points in the first three quarters and just really didn't show up in the fourth and there's more guys like reggie jackson and stuff like that in the fourth it's like oh you know what that kind of makes sense but I mean, still good for Paul George having a good game. You do actually love to see it. You want to see him do well. I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like the Clippers are going to take this. And I think the Sixers are going to win tonight. I don't, I don't feel great about either of those. But if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are both game time decisions, that doesn't really scream a lot of confidence. And, that, and I should make this really clear like just from now. If they're both hurt, they shouldn't take away anything from this season. They were hurt and they yeah. couldn't play. Like there shouldn't be some like big internal breakup. Like you run it no. back, make sure that they're healthy, maybe bring in another depth piece and like I said, run it back and see what happens. Definitely. Definitely. Clippers. The Clippers is really interesting because if they make it past this and they make it onto the conference finals, that's the it's really tonight is the really the biggest game in Clippers history because if they lose this tonight, 
I don't think I love them playing in a game seven in Utah. Yeah. Because, yeah, Paul Joy just had some experiences with clinching games in Utah and it hasn't really worked out for him. So I think I think the Clippers have to get this tonight because if they don't, I don't think they'll get game seven. And with with Atlanta and with Philly, Philly just has to scrap the all bench lineups and you just kind of have to take it as as is like with this roster is that Ben Simmons isn't going to score 30 points a game. Like we have to accept this. Like he isn't the player that people want him to be. And just because he isn't doesn't mean he doesn't bring anything valuable. But this is the limitations like Tobias Harris has to step up. Basically, all their wing scoring has to step up and bring it tonight. Else, mm-hmm. They're done because Atlanta is getting away with playing Lou Williams and Trey Young together because they don't have a guard who can punish that. Mm-hmm. Like for as good as Seth Curry is, he isn't punishing that. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like I've been I've been off the Ben Simmons train forever, literally ever since he entered the league. I just don't see how like I know this is kind of like a mainstream opinion, but I'm going to say it anyways, I don't see how you can get be a superstar in the NBA without being able to shoot the basketball. Like I don't get that. And I think he's being exposed for it right now. And like, I don't I don't know. I think he just has to develop a shot, man. Like, it, like, is it too late for that in your opinion? What do you think? So I think the more concerning part, especially right now, in, in the context of this series, is his free throw shooting. It's just mm. not good. Hack of Ben is a real thing. Atlanta's getting away with it. Philly can't exploit. Like, they're exploiting them with that. It, it just isn't really working. I think something that has becoming more prevalent, especially, like, with NBA scouting, is, like, how good your free throw shooting usually is a better indicator of, like, how good of a three-point shooter you actually are. And his free throw shooting is way more, in my opinion, a cause of concern than the actual, like, ability to space the floor. Like, right now, like, both are concerning, don't get me wrong, but right now his his lack of ability to hit free throws is a detriment to the Sixers because like this, he's their second best player. Like they need him on the court for defensive purposes, for bringing the ball up in transition, for rebounding, but he's in the dunker spot or like he'll bring the ball up and like he'll fake a play and then it's going to Seth Curry or it's going to Tobias mm. Harris. For those, for as good as those guys are, they have been playing over their heads a little bit this season and we've seen it now with Tobias. It's Tobias hasn't shown up in the fourth quarters and game four or five. It's just, it's just tough because this dude can't score. Hmm. He can't score. And the guys around him, like we talked about last um, episode, the worst pairing of minutes in the entire league for the Sixers is Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Dwight Howard. They kind of need a stretch big who can, you know, shoot. And that's not Ben Simmons. This may be the year where it gets breaking up. Yeah, I, I think it could if, be. If they lose, if they lose. Yeah, if they lose. I think like I would I would try and trade Ben Simmons to a team where he I don't know, dude, like could Ben Simmons not play point guard? Like could he change positions? I feel like at this point he hasn't been a point guard. I feel like yeah. he's just been a ball handling forward. Because yeah. I think because I feel like Seth Curry is like their traditional, like he's the one who sets up the offense, but Seth Curry is the one who's usually defending. I don't, I don't know. It's weird. I think they just need a lead guard, a guard who yeah. can actually handle and shoot from the perimeter at an elite or at least above average, like consideration. Mm-hmm. I heard, I heard something 
Sixers fans were clamoring for like Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard, which I doubt is going to happen no. in any capacity. No. But, but what about Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum? Yeah. Yes. There you go. There, there's the step back into reality. Like, man, of course they could use Dame Lillard, but they'd have to give up everything. Tobias Harris as well, probably. Yeah, Tobias to make the money work because I forget what the contracts are at, but you're going to have to get – giving up Tobias shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a mm-hmm. problem, but I feel like a J for Ben Simmons is a little bit more realistic of a trade because – Let's be frank here. People who run teams are watching the playoffs and they're watching Ben Simmons. And they're like, oh, we see like the capo, like we see the faults with him. Like we see what he can't do. But Portland for like all the assets, quote unquote, that they've invested on defense with like Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. Like they're actually still missing a guy who can defend. And that's kind of what Ben Simmons would be. Yeah, I think Ben Simmons could be decent on that team with, with Dame opening up lanes for him to, to get to the basket. Like, that's kind of that's kind of interesting. I think that could be a kind of a cool team. I still don't think they'd win a championship or even get close. But, like, if I'm Dame, I kind of want out of the Portland at this point, man. Like, I just don't think you're winning there, man. I don't know. It's interesting because now they have the free – they have the coach opening. And with Rick Carlisle gone, that's uh, that's a really good Rick Carlisle destination. But their sights are apparently on Mike D'Antoni. And I feel like Mike D'Antoni is the perfect, like, PR-saving move for that offense. Because Neil O'Shea basically ripped Terry Stotts to shreds. And he's like, I've put together a really good roster, and he just can't get the job done. So if I was him, I'm hiring Mike D'Antoni just to, like, just even more maximize what this roster does and just, like, shoot a ton of threes. Yeah, I, I guess that's the way to do it. I also want to talk about Game Seven, though, bro. We got to talk about Game Seven, yes. Nets and Bucks. I think you you said it was going to go seven, right? Did you say Nets and seven or Bucks and seven? I said Nets and seven, and I'm sticking okay. with it. I'm stick sticking with it. with it. Nice, nice. I, I I I I agree. I mean, I didn't call that. I think I said Nets and five, but I'm definitely taking Nets and seven. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be really fun to watch. Um, in New York, that crowd's going to be insane. They're going to be on Giannis all day. Um, I feel kind of bad for him, honestly. I said that he has to deal with that, but. Like, if the Bucks pull this off, wow! I mean, that—that's a. You want to talk about a league changer? That's a league. Changer. I think so many destinies, especially on the Bucks side, are going to get written on Saturday. Yeah, because if they lose, I think Coach Bud is gone. I think he should be gone regardless. Like, even if they win and make it past the next round, I still don't think this is a coach that is going to maximize this roster. But that's a little bit of a tired take, but I'm going to give him some credit. He's starting to play his star players more than 40 minutes a game. It only took him how many years to learn that? But it's finally, I, I, I'm i still confused with like Bucks rotations and stuff like that, but they're starting to play more like the Bucks. But I think the blame needs to fall a little bit more on Giannis and his shortcomings as a player than Bucks than Bud in his shortcomings as a coach, but he's starting to kind of go in the way that a lot of analysts want to see him play. They want to see him play as a center, like use your size, like the guard stuff and the ball handling and all that stuff is cute. And the above the break free suck. Like you shouldn't be shooting them at all. And, but they want to see him closer to the basket and like actually like using his size for what it's good for. So I think a lot of destinies are going to get written 
more for the Bucks. I don't think this really changes anything for the Nets because mm-hmm. you can make the you, you, literally you can rewrite the narrative and be like literally all three of their best players were hurt in some capacity yeah. for the entirety of the season, and they had to play guys like Joe Harris and Bruce Brown. Joe Harris has disappeared this series, which is also like really concerning because he was lights out in the regular season. But like they had to play guys like Joe Harris and Bruce Brown and had to get Blake Griffin off the scrap heap to make this work and Jeff Green and. You can just make you can use that argument and be like, yeah, but this team has been hurt since like literally the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yo, if if the Nets lose, do they run it back next year with all three? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. you're forced to. I think they're all under contract next year. Yeah. I think yeah. I think James Harden can have has the ability to become a free agent next year. And then like so next season becomes the like the more interesting thing, but you, you try you try to get like a vet guy on the minimum who will come in and play defense and hit threes like you brought up the Rosa Royce O'Neal type like that would make a lot of sense uh PJ Tucker would make a lot of sense I was surprised yeah. he didn't I was surprised he didn't end up in Brooklyn because I thought him and Kevin Durant had a good relationship but after watching them play defense uh I guess not I guess they don't really get along so as I thought they did because they're both Texas guys um that's why LaMarcus Aldridge ended up because he's a Texas guy as well yeah, I they, this team still needs, I guess, this team still needs, like, size. Uh, like, Claxton is interesting as a prospect, and Blake Griffin has been really good in, like, a small, by, small ball five role. This team just needs some, like, wing size. Like, a yeah. Joe Harris, like, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, who can, like, knock down a three or two and play, like, competent defense. That's what this team needs. Yeah, and I think with the Bucks, like, if you lose this... I think, yeah, like you said, Bud's gone. And I don't know where they kind of turn. I mean, do they just go back with the same guys next year, knowing that they're going to run into Brooklyn again, who might even be better next year with with health? Like, I don't know. It's a tough spot to be in for them. I mean, this is just a massive game for the Bucs. Like, it's, I agree. It's way bigger for the Bucs than it is for the Nets. Yeah, because the Nets have the built-in excuses. The Bucs, the Bucs should have ended this when Kyrie got hurt and the fact that the Nets were able to steal that game, that game five where KD drops, you know, like a casual 49 points, 17, 10 while playing, like, while literally never coming out of the game. It's just, it isn't a good look and it's not going to be a good look if they lose. Mm -hmm. That's why, that's why if they lose, I think, I think winning in the long term could be a good thing, but it could be a bad thing because you're keeping coach Bud along. And I just don't think he's the championship closer that's that, that this team needs, I think, I think they would be better served like Rick Carlisle. I think you'd mm. be a better coach for this team. But if they make it past this round, is Philly or Atlanta stopping them? No, I, I, w- no. I wouldn't. Pick, I wouldn't pick either of those teams against Milwaukee. And depending on how you feel about the Suns, if Chris Paul is back, whoever comes out of the West, like Milwaukee should be the favorites if they win. Yeah. If they win, if from this from this point on, they should be the favorites. But that's why. Game seven, game seven is just must-watch TV. Yeah. Well, I, I agree that there's favorites in the East, but I'm still taking my sons in the West over the Bucks. I got to say. And I think I honestly just picked the Jazz off of, like, residual ideas that they need to take that to seven so Chris Paul can play sooner than later in that next round series because I think that's that's big. I, like, with the way it works out, is he guaranteed to miss one game or, or is that still up in the air? Uh, they said they're going to reevaluate it next week and see like what the tests say, um, okay. which would lane. He's definitely going to miss probably game one and maybe game two because all the all the semifinal series are ending Sunday. 
Mm. And then I think they start Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not sure. But we will find yeah. out by this time next week when we do the podcast where who's playing, who's the last four teams remaining. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. That's deep. Um, next week, we're also going to know some group stage results from the Euros. I was, bro, I was waiting for a transition there. I was like, I had nothing in my mind, but we just did it. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, so far, it's been, it's been a really interesting tournament. Um, I mean, obviously, the Christian Eriksen situation was and is going to be the story of the tournament. I'm like, did you see that live? Yeah, I did. I did see it live. Yeah, me and too. I was really confused. I was like, wait, what happened? And just from like, we could talk about like the, the impacts, but I like, I want to talk about it from like a media perspective because we're journalism students. They kept the camera on him way too long. Way too long. Way too long, bro. Like, like literally like two minutes of CPR, like, like on live TV trying to save a guy's life. Like it's, it's just insane. And like, you don't think that's in the back of the doctor's head, like the camera on the wire, like right over their shoulder, like while you're trying to save a guy's life on the field. Like, I just think it's, it's just ridiculous. And I know they apologized for it, but like have some human compassion and, and just take the camera off. Like, it's just like, like I was, I was saying to some friends, like, I don't think I've ever seen CPR perform for real in my life, like either in person or on TV. And it was like, so hard like so traumatic bro i felt like so sad and concerned and worried and it's just like it was just a terrible moment but but obviously we're super super glad that he's he, he's stabilizing in hospital yeah it gave me flashbacks to grade nine gym back at riverdale not going to name the teacher's name but when we were doing the cpr unit they showed a video of like actual like live cpr being done on australian tv on like a show and what got me was like his eyes and how they rolled back in the video that they showed because the, the other guy's eyes had rolled back. I was like, yeah, you don't need to show it. Like at that point, you don't need to show it. Like cut to anywhere else. Like go to commercial, throw to commercial. Just that general area of the field. Like mm. you don't need to show it. And that's why they had to like cover up all the sheets to like to make sure that there was like actual privacy. Because if they just brought him out, yeah. like privacy from the cameras but also privacy from all the fans like because you don't want to see that mm -hmm. but i'm just glad that he's okay i'm glad that he's alive and yeah you know like career conversations are for a later point i'm just happy that he is okay relatively mm -hmm. and big big ups to the doctors too and and simon care as well who started yeah. the cpr the danish captain started the cpr before the doctors did um started the cpr made sure that he didn't swallow his tongue comforted his wife yeah dude's a hero Dude's an absolute hero. Same with Casper Schmeichel, all those doctors to, to perform a life-saving maneuver in front of like 40,000 people watching and, and the world watching is just an, an incredible thing. And, and so happy that, that it ended on a, on with, with a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's nothing really else to say with that. It's just, we're glad he's alive and we're still glad that this tournament can continue as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there are some, some interesting stories that are on, on the pitch. Um, some, some, some teams that we thought would go deep into this tournament are looking kind of eh. I mean, Turkey's looking eh. Turkey's, um, Turkey's done. Turkey's done. Yeah. yeah Turkey's, Turkey's, Turkey's cooked hot. Um, I think, I think I'm going to touch on this one later. I think Spain's a very interesting team. I think Poland's a very interesting team, but Teams that are looking really good right now. Italy, I think, is looking way better 
than people possibly expected with yeah. a lot of younger guys like this is this is a really young good team belgium obviously looking great netherlands looking great england's playing starting right now i believe they're also yes. uh, that's going to be a really big game against scotland wales wales that's my squad that was my pick that was my dark horse and we're looking nice right now so i think i think it's a pretty uh it's been a pretty good tournament uh, something that I want to touch upon that you said is definitely this youth movement because I forget the number of players that are returning from the Dutch team from last uh, Euro Cup to this Euro Cup, but it's very minimal. It's mm-hmm. not really a lot. Like they're really, they're really embracing this youth movement with Memphis Depay. Like he's great. Like he is a star. I love watching him play. It's yeah, I really like this. And even with Wales, because Wales was bringing in like Liverpool transfers that are from Cardiff City. Like in towards the end of that game, that was it's interesting. It's interesting to get watch these young guys actually get like some time to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I, I think Italy, Italy's doing that as well. I think the young guys on Italy have been great. Spain is doing that too, and I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. But Spain is an interesting case because it might not be working out for them as well as, as it is with other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to bring this up. This was freaking crazy. That dude who parachuted into the the France Germany game icon bro icon that, that was, was insane that was crazy i was not like, expecting that. he didn't exactly stick the landing no but it was pretty crazy because he, he he came in right and he hit that wire you can see him hit a wire in the air and he flips over and then he's like coming in on an angle yeah and he like buzzes over the seats clipped a few people and actually sent them to hospital i think yeah. but you know yeah he sent a couple of people to hospital not not a great look not a great look but besides that i would have been in full support of it thanks because it's just so crazy wasn't he like a PETA supporter had like a PETA message on the parachute yeah greenpeace he was he was against that russian oil company oh okay okay i'm about that go for it that's crazy i i and i I think it was smart not to do it in russia because it ended differently (laughs) yeah we won't we won't talk about this but let's talk let's talk about this poland spain game because i think it's big for both teams oh it's massive bro tomorrow's tomorrow's slate of games is huge Starts off with France-Hungary. That's, that should be a France rock. Then you got Portugal-Germany. That's going to be great. Can't wait for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, because you're really deciding two fates right there, right? Like, like, Germany need to win. And Portugal, if they lose, are going to try and... I mean, they got France next. So that's... Yeah. You, you presume that would probably be a really tough game for them. Portugal, so if if lose, Portugal wins, they cement themselves to that. Yeah, Portugal, if, they, if Portugal wins, they go through. But if... if Portugal loses, they instantly drop to possibly not getting out of the group yeah. because then they'd need at least a point against France. And that's going to be difficult, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. Poland, Spain is, is the late game. And I think with, with Spain drawing against Sweden, Poland losing to Slovakia, I think you're seeing two teams that just underperformed. Both teams are expected to get out of the group and yeah. Sweden won today. Sweden beat Slovakia. So Sweden's on four points. So that looks to be, you know, a formidable squad. Poland's going to have to face them. So if Poland doesn't get a point, at least out of, out of Spain, they're probably done. And then that, that continues a really, a really bad run, of, run for major tournaments for Poland. Yeah, poor Poland. All I know is Hungary is going to be very hungry for a win tomorrow. Nice. Well done. Well done. For handshakes, bro. Like that Hungary crowd for the Portugal game. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. COVID is apparently over in Hungary. Yeah, I, te- I texted my brother. Wait, was it in Hungary? I thought it was in Portugal. No, it was in Hungary. Oh, I texted him, does COVID exist in Portugal? And he was like, no. <laughs> but 
but I guess it doesn't exist in Hungary bro, either. Bro, dude, that was that was an insane atmosphere. I don't know if they're hosting another game. They actually might be. Well, I mean, they must be at some point. But that was that was crazy. And then also on the on 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 the home front, I think Canada. they're hosting. I think they're hosting. Uh, they are hosting against France. Really? That's in Hungary? Yeah, that's in Hungary. They're hosting against. Uh, Bro, that's gonna that's gonna be tough for France, but I think they'll get it done. It could be interesting. I think so on, too. On the home front, staying staying on the pitch, we have Team Canada making some moves, qualifying for the octagon for the first time since 1997, which means they will be facing off against seven other teams from Concacaf to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar, and I think this is a great thing for obviously a great thing for Canada soccer, but we're going to have some seriously big games played in our country uh, over the next two years. I mean, we're going to have games. Mexico is going to play here. USA is going to play here. Some, some of the other big teams from Central America are playing here. So I think, I think we have a chance. I don't think it's, it's as far fetched as it might seem right now, but with Mexico and USA shoring up those top two spots, presumably it's, it, we're really going to be fighting for the final spot. Yeah. And I think, I think they can, I think, if everyone is available to play and everyone's healthy, I think Canada can at least challenge for that last spot. Mm-hmm. We'd love to see them in. Have they ever made the World Cup before? Yeah, they did. I think I think they made it once in like 86 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like a long time ago because mm-hmm. we're starting to enter the golden age of like Canadian soccer. So to mm-hmm. get like a World Cup appearance would really cement that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd love to get it before we get an automatic one for 2026. Exactly. Think, yeah, we're hosting. So you'd love to get in on your own merits and not just automatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because the soccer talent that could grow within the next five years between now and 2026 would certainly merit an appearance, but you wouldn't want to have like the questions over your head being like, oh, they just got there because, you know, they're hosting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's hit on the top six storylines that we're going to be looking up for in the next week. Uh, I'll go first. What will come first? Will the Blue Jays bullpen actually have a good outing or will the team add a piece? I'm going to go out here on a limb because people aren't really supporting the Blue Jays bullpen. I am not one of them, but I think they will have a good outing at some point. I think, I think it's just been too long without a good outing. I mean, there's been stuff here and there from different pitchers that have shown, you know, some strong efforts. I think they can put it together in one game, at least one game against the Orioles. Yeah, I, I like that. And, and I think that's that's probably going to happen with, with our strength schedule coming up. Second big storyline, where will the Raptors fall in the draft lottery? Uh, this, is, this is new territory for the Raptors. We haven't been in a draft lottery in quite some time. Um, when was the last one? Like 2012, 2011? I want to say the last uh, Raptors lottery pick was Terrence Ross. Okay, okay, wow. So quite a long time ago. Um, yeah. It comes down to the ping pong drop, man. It, it's crazy. I, I think it, it's going to bring a lot of eyes to the screen. That like, like as a Raptors fan, I didn't really feel the need to watch the draft lottery over the past few years because my team's not in it. But I mean, it'll be an interesting experience, and I think I trust our developmental staff so much. That I don't even think we can go wrong with this pick, wherever it is. Uh, let's just clarify really quick. Last pick with their own pick was Terrence Ross in 2012, but we did take Jakob Pertl ninth in 2016 because of the Andrea Bargnani trade. Thanks, New York. Mm. Appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> number number three, will Kawhi Leonard return for the Clippers in this series? I say no. I think he's done. 
I think they can beat Utah, but I think that's kind of where it ends there. Yeah, an ACL injury, because we still don't really know the severity of it, but he had said to teammates, you know, be prepared to be without me for a while. Um, you just have to think about it because remember then the championship run, like how hampered he was with his quads and this is him not playing. Like that kind of mm-hmm. tells you how bad the injury is. You don't want to compare apples to oranges because you're this, these are different injuries in different scenarios, but I think he's done. I don't think it's a smart idea to come back. This is an ACL and it's, it's actually kind of, I actually, let me take that back. It's kind of similar to the Embiid situation with mm. the meniscus. You're going to, you know, you're going to have to get it repaired and you know that you're going to have to like, once it's getting repaired, you're probably going to be out for a while. If he can play on the ACL, maybe, maybe that would make sense. But you know what? You always want to pick health over in uh, like a title window. So yeah, as soon as he has surgery on that ACL, that Clippers team is done, like regardless. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's a tough call. I wouldn't come back though. Yeah. Especially when you have a championship window that you presume is going to be open for the next few years. Yeah. The fourth storyline back to the Euro, a big game tomorrow between Portugal and Germany. Could Germany be headed for another group stage exit of major tournament? This is big because last World Cup in 2018, Germany did not make it out of the group. They lost to Mexico and South Korea. Um, so if Germany loses to Portugal tomorrow, they're most likely done and out of this tournament. Uh, you got to think they'd probably beat Hungary, but we don't know if three points is going to be enough to get through. So a loss for Germany tomorrow is insane um, to see Germany bomb out of the group stage of a Euro. We know this is going to be Joachim Lowe's last year as coach of Germany. Uh, I think that's probably coming at the right time considering they're going to have to rebuild. I know they're still running out Thomas Muller. I think he's kind of just done. You're seeing that generation, the Neuer generation kind of move on and, and some young players are coming into the team, but they're in that weird hybrid zone right now. And I don't think we've seen that work really. I think you either have to commit to the youth movement or, or run out the old guard again and see what happens. But the hybrid isn't working and it's a big game tomorrow for Germany. Yeah, very, like we talked about with the Bucks, kind of legacy-defining, legacy-altering. Number five, will Chris Paul be available for game one of the Western Conference Finals? Uh, I don't think he will, because a little quick Google search tells me that the latest it can start is June 22nd, which, by my calculations, looking at the calendar, is Tuesday. So I think he's still going to be out for health and safety protocols for a while. But even with, I think, the greatness of Devin Booker, how good DeAndre Ayton has been, and the rest of the team kind of bringing it all together, campaign, Jay Crowder, if he's hitting those above-the-break threes, Mikael Bridges, I think they can still, you know, hold the ship and, mm-hmm. you know, float without him. I think they can too, low-key. Like, I think they could, they could win a game without him. I don't know if they can win two. I mean, they I have. They could... I mean, they yeah. have shown that they can, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think they'll... I don't think I definitely don't think they can win a series without him, but no. I think they can definitely steal at least a game, if not two, maybe without him. And then the final storyline, we're also going to find this one out tomorrow. Spain versus Poland. Desperation on both sides. Both teams desperately need to win this game. Uh, a tie kind of does them both no good. Uh, that would put Spain on two points going to a game against Slovakia. So that kind of yeah, a tie helps Spain. A tie helps Spain definitely more than it helps Poland because that would probably put Spain on five points going through. But Poland need to get a to get a win pretty much i mean losing to slovakia is never a good look they had a red card uh they just looked lost all game so it's two teams with high expectations spain is committed to the youth movement not calling up sergio ramos for this euro 
which was a hugely controversial decision. So you're going to be looking to their back line to see if they can hold off Lewandowski. I, I know he didn't score against Slovakia. He didn't really have a great game. So I think it's, it's, it's a big day in the Euro tomorrow. We're going to find out a lot about some big name players, if they're moving on or if they're heading home. Mm-hmm. And that does it. Week six of the Bremner Boulevard Sports Podcast in the books. Thank you for listening, as always, and we'll be back here next week. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Make sure, make sure, you know, rate and view. Trevor really pulled out his MJ tonight. Bro, I'm gonna I'm about to fall asleep in like two seconds. So I'm 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 done, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Peace. Thank you. Peace.